and you can see their spirits, their pure spirits shining through. So, you know, we as people were, you know, we're classified as, as in God's image. Uh, you know, the spirit, the soul, and the flesh um, in God's image. And so that's what they were showing there. Is there's this, there's this, this fullness that's coming. Um, so there's good things to come out of this. So the law is leading to good things. Okay, so the thing that that um, leading up to this and in this chapter that he really talks about, um, so chapter 10 is actually kind of a an end cap on the previous uh, nine chapters, really. Um, um, and so this kind of, ties together closely with the previous two chapters especially but in there he talks about sacrifices and here he says the yearly animal sacrifices for sin they satisfy the letter of the law okay so we're supposed to go in yearly um, and the high priest only the high priest was supposed to go and and, um, offer a sacrifice for sin and they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it about the altar um and they would go in the temple and, and um, uh, you know, maybe they would burn the sacrifice and they would take care of those things. Uh, so once per year. And that was to remind us that, you know, it was, a, it was um, every year it was, it was sin that needed to be covered. So what is a sacrifice? Okay. Okay. So what it is is sin needs to be covered. So sin is our failure to follow up with God and following his law and it's our imperfections our disobedience before God okay so so we can't see God we're separated permanently from God with sin in our lives we can't come to God that's why there's a partition that's why there's this this veil over the holy of holies that's why we couldn't approach them you know when the Israelites were in front of the mountain they couldn't touch the mountain because it would be boom. That was it. End of life. Um, so, you know that that's the intensity of of um, God being pure and holy and righteous, and us being unrighteous is that we cannot touch or come near. Okay, and sacrifices are needed. So, in order for you know our so so sin is a disobedience to God. Okay, so. So if, if we're disobedient to God, we can't come into his presence. Okay, so the goal, uh, I think I, part uh, number three, I'm going to jump to the goal. Number Point number three here, but the goal is approaching God in perfection. Okay, I wrote that down as that's what sacrifice is all about. Okay, so the sacrifice is, is that because we as people made in the image of God cannot come to him, we need to sacrifice an animal. We need to shed blood because there's guilt. It's like, okay, we got to take that guilt out of the way. There's a little problem with that because if we sacrifice ourselves, then we're done. We're gone, right? Okay? So they sacrifice animals and say, okay, we're going to sacrifice this animal as a substitution. You know, substitution for your guilt. And that animal is going to cover your guilt. Well, um, the thing is, is that they had to repeatedly offer that sacrifice each year. Okay, so it, 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 it was the intent, and it was written down in the law, this is what you do, but it didn't quite meet the criteria. Okay, 
So what is, what, is it, what does it require for us to cover our sin then? Okay, so first of all, there's a mediator. Um, the law calls for a high priest. There's a priest who comes in and has to offer on our behalf. He's a mediator that says, okay, I'm the one who's going to come in and bring this sacrifice um, for you because you're imperfect, okay? So the mediator needs to be at a higher level and say, okay, I'm going to mediate between you and God. Uh, and that's what the priest would do. He'd go in and offer sacrifices. Um, and his, the idea was is that he would bring us through the courts to God. That never really happened, but it was in relationally. Um, Israel was brought back to relational with God because they couldn't actually approach in person. But at least they were accepted uh, by God um, according to the sacrifices that were given by the law. Um, so Adam and Eve and all subsequent people are sinful. Um, and the thing about this sin is that um, it, there's a consciousness of sin that comes into all people. Well, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, sacrifices gives us consciousness of sin. Uh, so every year, the sacrifice would be given, and that would tell us, okay, you have sinned, and and um, this is going to cover your sin. Um, so the blood is like, okay, yeah, there's there's the blood is a blood of guilt, and this consciousness is it, it actually talks about it in uh, multiple places. But, um, for instance, Romans 1, if you remember the passage where it talks about that um, people who do not know the law or do not know the Lord, they too are reminded of, of um, because of conscience, because of the evidence of the creation around us, they too are reminded of God's law. Okay, so these... Um, um, this consciousness of sin is something that, okay, each year we're reminded, okay, did the, did the blood cover us? Well, you know, God asked us to do it and we did it. Okay. Did the, you know, the blood of the animal, there it is. Okay. So now we've got consciousness of sin. So um, the idea here in this first section is that the goal is, is to approach God in perfection, number three, and number four that purification removes the guilty conscience. So the idea here is that when you're guilty, you want to get rid of that guilt. You want to take your conscience and clean it. So when you um, have a sacrifice, um, the idea is, is that, that, that God's going to remove the guilt. He's going to forget about that. Okay. Number five, if lawful sacrifice removes guilt, they would no longer be necessary. There would be no more consciousness of sin. Okay? So here we have bulls and goats. They get sacrificed. They get offered by the priest according to the mediation that he's supposed to do. Um, and it's supposed to clear our conscience and say, okay, now we're good with God. Um, we too can be righteous. Um, so there's a problem with that. And then, um, well, it, it had to be done every year. Let me just finish this. Okay, so 
if, for instance, uh, the the sacrifice were perfect, there would no longer be a necessary sacrifice. There would be no more consciousness of sin. It would be like uh, it says in Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 1, so they would be blotted out or we would be white as snow. There would be no more remembrance of that. So the true sacrifice cleanses our conscience. This is under uh, point number five. So this is how we know the sacrifice is accepted. When our conscience no longer reminds us of sin. Okay. Number six. Um, actually, this is an excerpt out of verse 11. Kind of, it fits in here. It says, but sin will never be removed by animal sacrifice. Okay. So we have this sinful death and we need a mediator and we need blood to cover that guilt. Uh, but it's an animal sacrifice. So we're reminded by the blood of animals that we have the sentence of death over us and we uh, we need to continue this every year. And why do we have to do it every year? Why is it not good? Well, it's actually not an animal isn't created in the image of God. It's an animal, right? It, it's not, it, you know, he never said that about any created thing. Never said it about anything else. So we as um, humans can choose to do wickedness, choose to do evil, choose to sin against God. Um, in our in our souls, we make that choice and decide to go against God. An animal, on the other hand, isn't like that. And, and you know, they can be mean and chew things up, but uh, or sting you or whatever. But that's not the same so the animals aren't adequate uh, but God God um, appointed animals to be used as a sacrifice until that thing which is the perfect image was set up and all that was set in place and that was the sacrifice of Jesus so we can't sacrifice another person for us I mean, I just, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, Dan, would you be sacrificed for me? No, it doesn't work that way. Not going to work, Dan. <laughs> so, thankfully, um, in verse 5, it says, Christ's sacrificial death was for sin. And it's interesting because um, in verse 5 and after, he, he says... God did not want sacrifices for sin and burnt offerings. So he asked the question, why did he appoint the law? Why did he ask that to be done every year? Hmm. Well, we just went through that it was a reminder, and it was to amplify, and it was a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. So I don't know, we just went through Easter and Passover. If you've ever done Passover before, you realize that every year they remember that Messiah is coming. The Jews remember that Messiah is coming and they welcome them. You know, they leave the door open for Elijah to come, right? And Elijah is the foreshadowing of the Messiah. Um, here, the sacrifice is a shadow of what Jesus did for us. So it says here, God did not enjoy sacrifices. Uh I think I misspelled something here. Did they remind him of the tragic separation? So 
Right. He didn't want the sacrifices because it just reminds him that there's a separation, okay, between man and God. So people could never come into the Holy of Holies or the presence of God through those sacrifices. So God was reminded, yes, we have to go through with what Jesus had to go through. So God didn't want the sacrifice. Point number eight is God wanted Jesus to be incarnate and to do God's will. And he says in these next verses out of the Psalms here, um, he talks about in the volume of the book, it is written about me. So I would say that that is the law. So it, it testifies about Jesus throughout the law and about what's going to happen. So you look at all the services, the sacrifices, the offerings, the feasts, the celebrations, all of that is about what Jesus was reflecting. Um, it was reflected as a shadow in the law and fulfilled through Jesus. Remember, uh, jump down to point nine at the end. Jesus came to fulfill the law, Matthew five seventeen. Right? We remember that. Jesus, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So he was, once again, he was the concrete part of the law. He wasn't just a shadow. So the first covenant or law is taken away because of Jesus' sacrifice. The second is established, and the true image is not a shadow. So he came to fulfill the law. Okay, I'm going to pause after section one. And say, are there any questions or points or anybody get reminded of anything they want to bring up? Reminded on mute too. Oh, yes. There is mute. Unmute. Now, I mean, I'll just, the, when you first started off, the law is a true image. And then when I read this verse, the law is a shadow of the good things that are coming. Uh, I have... I think to myself, that's not how I view the law. I view the law as a, as a uh, uh, the laws make me feel controlled. <clears throat> so I, don't, I mean, I don't view the law as good. I view it as, yeah, I, you know, I'd rather go 80 and it says 65. It's probably good for everybody else. But but the, the way that you're describing it, the way I'm, and I'm seeing it here, it's like, it, it's like um, when they interviewed um, the president of ORU, Oral Roberts, because they made it to the Sweet 16, and and they're like, and, and it's all this controversy because Oral Roberts, they're saying, you know, some people say your school shouldn't even be in the NCAA because you uh, embrace anti-LGBTQ rights and, and your, you know, your sexual morals are way too conservative and you should be kicked out. And, and he, he said, um, you know, we hold our students to a moral standard. We just think it's the best way to live. <laughs> that's, all, that's all he said. And, and it's kind of like what's good out here. It's like the law is defining a way to live that, um, that we, that guys like me, chafe against. But in reality, I think what he's saying is, what you're saying is, it's the best way to live. Yeah. The, the thing that, and so that's, that's a cool way to look at it. I just, it's good. Another thing is, when we think about Jesus, we don't think of him as being like legalistic or controlled or mm -hmm. in bondage. 
and yet he was the fulfillment of the law. So it has to prove that, you know, if it weren't for our sin nature, that it, it wouldn't be bonded yeah, to follow the law. Really it would actually be free. Yeah. By the way, can you hear online? Yes. Okay. I heard you. Yes, that's right. Without sin, it would be a joy to follow the law. Like Jesus. Like, yes. Yeah, that's free. <laughs> yeah. So in other words, like, you wouldn't, you know, crave a pork. <laughs> <laughs> pork. If it were for your sin nature. <laughs> I'd just rather have a good old hot dog or something. Oh, right. Have you guys seen the chosen? Yeah, like, the second, not yet. We have, we have. Uh, one, one scene, they're talking about all the sins that they committed. One guy said, um, you know, one guy said, I, you know, I, I worked almost into the Sabbath, but I just barely got done with those. I had some pork one time. And they go, really? <laughs> what was it like? It was, it was delicious. Pork <laughs> <laughs> delicious. All right. Um, Charlie, I, would, I was thinking... Um, this whole thing about the law, I'm thinking about David and how he delighted in the law. Yeah. And I think how we view the law and we think it's so dead. It's, you know, but David, like, must have, and, and others like Asaph or Joshua, just different ones, they must have seen like had revelation some of the shadow of what it was because it, it was a delight. I mean, he says, my delight is in the law of the Lord. I mean, yeah, he wrote all these Psalms that are just incredible and he didn't have the spirit of God on the inside. He didn't know Jesus. Right. And, and yet there he is just delighting in the law, which we can delight in now because we can see Christ in it. Yes. The law without seeing Christ, it's like, it's amazing because David was like a New Testament man in the Old Testament. That's an amazing statement. I, yeah. Right. Yeah. It, come, it bleeds out of the Psalms that way. You're right. Yeah. It's like, wow, how did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Incredible. All right. I see. Could I say something too? Yes. Um, um, the other thing is, but I, I did want to say that um, in the Old Testament, they did have the Holy Spirit, but it just, the Holy Spirit just didn't reside in them. Right. You know, it would just come upon them and then it would leave. Whereas believers now, New Testament, you know, it's the spirit is within us and resides in us but they would they would be filled in the old testament with the holy spirit just as the holy spirit would then leave yeah do, do you know what i'm saying right i just but i was just thinking of that point yeah right yeah elisha when he ran before uh, the chariot of <laughs> ahab <laughs> like how did he do that it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's very good. Yes, that's right. I think it's maybe the difference of the Holy Spirit upon 
and the Holy Spirit within. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet, very definitely, they encountered Holy Spirit, no doubt. So true. And, you know, you had mentioned David in the Psalms, but all of the prophets, it's the Holy yeah. Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and then teaches them. I mean, you read some of these prophetic books and you're like, wow, that is profound. And it's like, well, yeah, God's talking through these people. So, yes. All right. So, I don't know where I ended up here. Okay. So, section two, um, it, he really shifts from the sacrifices um, and Christ being the perfect sacrifice. Um, he kind of ended up, but then um, we really talk about being redeemed. Um, so let's see, where did I end up? You know, we didn't read five through 10, so let's do that now. So therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And he takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What did I say? Sanctified. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so, so the result... Of number point number one underneath uh, Roman numeral two, the result is perfecting of the sanctified ones. So Christ, Christ's sacrifice makes us sanctified when accepting Him as our sacrifice offering. So um, a point that came out when I was studying this was that He says um, sanctified, meaning past tense. We are sanctified. So we come to Christ. We are sanctified. So we are holy. That means that because of Jesus Christ, we can now come to God. Okay? Um, Let's see, let's see. Um, so the result, I think that I jump forward a little bit here. Let me read this next section, verses 11, because I'm going to actually touch on that in the next point here. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds, I will write them. 
Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So, okay. So we are sanctified. We are immediately sanctified. And the result is that his laws are written on our hearts. So in verse 16, he talks about that. It becomes natural for us to know and to do righteousness. Claire made this point that without sin, it's, it's the law is just like natural. It's something that we do. Righteousness is just flows. Um, so the result is our sins are forgotten. They're blotted out. They're white as snow. Those were from Isaiah. They're cast into a sea of forgetfulness. In Micah 7, 14 through 20, he talks about that. That's actually a really powerful passage. Okay. So because of Jesus, that's what happens is we get all those things blotted out. Um, and let's see. Okay. So um, because verse point two, verse 10, because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, sacrifice only once in time, in history, it was needed for all people and for all sins to which, and, and the blood to which the blood is applied. So all sins to which the blood is applied. So it's just like animal sacrifice. We need to apply the blood to our sins. So, so Jesus was needed. It was just that, okay, there was this shadow, this model of you need to apply blood because there's guilt. What's the, what's the penalty of sin? The penalty of sin is death. Okay. So therefore we needed to die. Well, the thing about it is that there's this concept of, um, um, substitutionary redemption. Um, so Jesus said, I'm going to take your place. Okay. So we all know about this and that's what our hope is, is that Jesus took our place for us. And he blotted out our sin. Point number three. He did it once and for all. The perfect sacrifice. So he didn't sin. It was a perfect sacrifice. Um, and as a result of the perfect sacrifice, conscience is cleansed. Remember we talked in the first section about the fact that when animal sacrifices were given, um, you know, that, that was according to the law, but it wasn't a perfect sacrifice. So, like, was it good enough? Was the blood of this animal, this bull, this goat, was that good enough to cover our sins? Well, I mean, it says it in the law, so it's what we did. So they were looking forward to being totally cleansed, which is what Jesus does to us. So I don't know, many people, not everyone, but many people, when they come to Christ, they get radically um, freed from that burden. If you remember Pilgrim's Progress, there was Christian. Pilgrim, he had this burden on his back, and he went on a journey to figure out how to get the burden off of his back. And he walked hither, thither, and yon throughout, had many adventures, and eventually the burden was removed. So that is what Jesus does is when he came to the point of salvation, that burden was removed, okay? And so when we come to Christ, that burden is removed. Whether or not we feel it or know it, that burden is removed. 
Okay, the consciousness can be is cleansed. Remember Romans 8.1 says, I didn't write it down, but I should have. Um, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there, uh, you know, he talks about sin, and then he says, um, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. I had it, and I lost it. <laughs> okay, verse 12 says, there was one sacrifice for sins forever. So the second covenant is permanent. So there's no more need to repeat these offerings each year. Verse 4 in verse 12 also, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. So the right hand is the side of strength and honor. Okay, a king, you know, I mean, in, I don't know, for those lefties out there, this is in general. <laughs> You go to battle and you use their sword in your right hand. That's the hand of strength. Most people have strength in their right arm. Um, the place of honor is at the right hand. So when you sit at a table, you know, banquet table, the right hand is this place of honor. The seat at the right hand of God is the seat of honor. That's where Jesus is seated. Um, and not only that, it's typically the place of strength. Um, the place of, of um, you know, when, when you bring yourself into battle, usually people would battle with their right hand. They would hold a sword or a spear that way. So Jesus sat down. That's the other point. Not only was he honored, he sat down or he rested on this seat at the right hand of God. So remember, um, you know, when you don't have to do any more work, you know, you sit down because it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to fuss around here. So Jesus did the complete perfect work because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the lamb of God, the sacrifice to take away the sins and to protect us. Um, he didn't need to do anything else. I already talked about Matthew five seventeen, where he's, Jesus said, it's finished. Um, So there was nothing more that needed to be done in order for all mankind to be redeemed. The redeeming, that term redeemed, that means to pay for a debt. Okay. So when you redeem, you know, um, I don't know, really what it is when you're paying for, you know, your dinner at a restaurant, you're redeeming their labor and their efforts. When you redeem... Um, you know, go buy a new car, you're redeeming it with whatever you pay, uh, however you pay. So how many people have been in the earth? Okay. And what's their value? Okay. Can you put a value on human life and all the people that have been in the earth? But Jesus was the one that was perfect and his value was so great and so far above all other value that his one sacrifice redeemed one time all men forever. So the other thing that happened out of this is in verse 13, this is point number five, Jesus's enemies, which would be the devil and people who are reprobates, uh, fallen angels, all of those will be put under his feet. 
So under the feet, under his footstool. Um, so when you put someone under your feet, um, even more so than now, in our culture, perhaps it doesn't come out, but it's a sign of total humiliation. You know, if you remember, there were times in the Old Testament when, um, you know, they would put their feet on the necks of the kings that they conquered. And then they kill them, typically. But basically, it's like you are completely humiliated. It's a place of complete vulnerability, a complete surrender. There's nothing you can do when someone's got you by the neck, you know, got you on the ground with your feet on their neck. Um, so that's what, you know, this these enemies are going to have to re- reveal is that there is nothing they can do. Jesus had total victory, absolute and total victory. So they are completely under his feet. Okay, verse six. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's the victory that he's invited us into as, as heirs and people who are inheriting eternal life with him is that we have total victory with him as well. Um, for point number six, um, in verse 14, he talks about, uh, he has perfected those who are being sanctified, uh, perfected the saints forever. Okay. So remember he, he talked about as we were sanctified and then he says being sanctified here. So what's he talking about? So, you know, our souls are not completely perfect as when we are redeemed and brought to Christ, we still goof up and, you know, we'll say a curse word or we'll think evil thoughts or, you know, we'll have hatred in our hearts or, you know, unforgiveness for our things. There's, there's so many things we can go on and on, but we are being sanctified and cleaned because remember we jumped, uh, actually it's verse 16. He talks about the law being written in our hearts. He's going to put his law into their hearts and in their minds, he will write them. So, it was the conscience that, that was saying, okay, yeah, the law brings uh, knowledge of consciousness of sin. The law, the conscience brings brings to my remind remember brings to our remembrance the law, and um, now he's going to write that on our hearts and put them in our minds so that through the Holy Spirit we have the law that we act on just by nature it's there okay it's there for us and he reminds us of the law so how many people were radically transformed when they came to jesus and something that they had done you know not you know it just wasn't part of what they were doing i remember it was a long time ago when i was saved but i remember that I basically couldn't curse anymore. I didn't say any curse words. I, there was no reason to. There was nothing. There was nothing in my heart that would do that. I just, it was gone. Okay? So that's that's just God transforming my, instantly, my character to, to be where, you know, that was just, took that out, it's gone. You know? 
I don't know if anyone else has a testimony like that, but that was just something I was like, oh, okay, thank you, God. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> okay, so verse 15 to 18, uh, right. Yeah, I talked more about the, the, our hearts because I actually mentioned it earlier. And then our hearts will have the law and in our minds. And when we hear directly from God, because sin is gone, we get directions and our conscience now is clean to hear what God says. God did not hold sin against us. So the remission of sin means that sin is not held against us anymore. So that's what Jesus did. He said, okay, your sin's gone. Um, okay, so there was, I kind of jumped around a little bit in that section, but um, there's a lot there. Anyone have comments? Something came to mind while we were going through those verses? I just want to say how you know God's view of sin never changed. You know, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, but it, you know, the these the sacrifices uh, was necessary. You know, a reminder you know, how deadly sin is. And then, you know, with now with the, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit to, you know, convict us of our sins daily, you know, bring us to, you know, surrender. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I just so, the worth of our, of, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know? I mean, He is the only one. There's, you know, the way. Um, you know, they can. I mean, He cleansed me, washed me, and forgave my sin. And um, I, I read a book this week of how young people today left the faith is because they don't understand. Yeah the worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And they think of Jesus as a, a therapist, uh, you know, someone they, you know, a helper, but not, um, you know, Lord and Savior. And so it, it's just, uh, I, that's all I want to say. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, such an incredible value that we cannot measure, like I said, that redeemed, how much did he have to pay? Well, he had an infinite amount of payment. And even that, the, the value of his sacrifice was so much greater than all of humankind and their sin. So he redeemed Amen. all of that. Amen. Wow, that's just staggering. So Charlie, I've, I've had this question also, um, just, uh, there's, there's still the limitation, um, in that point, in the last point you made remission means sin is not held against us anymore. That's what we enjoy as being ch children of God. Um, but I have learned and I'm still thinking in my own mindset, my own framework, maybe you can set some correction. Um, you can't keep sinning and expect God to be like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, 
you, you know, were just uh, horrible to this person and that person. And yeah, you know, sure, come into heaven. And I, I just think that there is a limit. I mean, we're, we are forgiven and set free when we choose Christ. But we cannot continue to sin. Is that correct? Um, we, okay, so God puts his law in our heart to, re, to direct us and show us still, because then we know what's right and wrong, okay? So if someone sins, after that, um, there is repentance. But not only that, um, um, there's this idea of um, um, when you um, go to judgment, there's, 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 you know, your, your guilt forever um, can, there, there's a, a judgment seat where he says, okay, who's written in the book of law? Those who realize what Jesus did and that he covered their sins are written in the book of law. Life. Book of life. Book of life. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> the L, some element, yeah. <laughs> my brain and my life. mouth are not always connected, so thank you. <laughs> okay, and there's my connector. That, clar- that clarifies it. Okay. Okay, so, so we are written in the book of life, okay? But there are things which um, we are rewarded with. You know, God has mansions for us. He has stuff which um, can be burned. And will we have true gems or will it be straw and stubble that will be burned in the end times? And so based on what we do with the talents given to us and whether or not we walk in a pure and holy manner, um, that will depend, that, that will you know, govern what kind of things that we get as a result. So it, it determines our judgment in the end, how pure and holy we can walk on the earth now, a fallen earth. He said that, you know, that it will be, it will be like a loss to us, right? When he talks about what things that are refined in the fire, it's kind of like a loss to us. If we realize, you know what, I messed up here and, you know, I, was a bad example and you know i had hate in my heart and it would be a loss it's like you know we've you know missed out on something god could have given us okay okay we feel that all right always like we get more we get a quicker sense of that it's a loss yeah the sin cheryl i think that question will be thoroughly addressed in chapter six which we skipped over because we had to okay then switch. okay then yeah i i think cheryl i think one of the things you're saying is that if you're truly a believer you can't habitually sin presuming on the grace of god like well you know like when paul was talking about um you know that whole thing in Romans, I think it was in, or is it Galatians, about presuming upon his grace, like, um, if we sin more, if should we think that, oh, then we'll just get more grace to forgive it, you know? Right, 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 right. And he's like, no, may it never be. He said, may it never be. So I think when you're truly 
truly saved, you truly love Christ. You would never want to, you don't want to sin, you know? And when you do sin, you feel grieved and you get the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you know you need to repent or things are not okay, you know? You can't just go on sinning, living a life of sin, going, oh, well, you know, presuming presuming upon his grace. It's like, do you actually know him, you know? Because if you're in that habitual state of sin, presuming upon his grace, I would question whether or not you actually know the Lord. Okay, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet he's so patient with us in our growth. He knows when someone, I, I totally agree with you, Amy. Yeah. He, to, he totally knows when we are struggling against sin and falling and falling and falling and falling to a human's eyes, it might look like, well, they're just in habitual sin. I don't even think they're saved. Mm. Right. But the Lord's looking and he says, I see the struggle. I see you choosing. I see you fighting and failing. I see you get back up and you come to me. And there's such hope of being set free. He's so patient. He's such mm-hmm. a good father. I was looking at verse 14, uh, Charlie, I think your version said, um, so for by one offering, he's been, he has perfected for all time. Those who mine says are sanctified, but the Greek there is being saint, those who are being sanctified. So we're growing in it. Mm -hmm. We're growing in our obedience. Yeah. And I think even in not knowledge of what pleases him Mm -hmm. i i thought the things were all the outward stuff which took so long to break through those things and then to find out oh but it's the inner things you're really concerned about because when you when the inner things are taken care of then we walk in obedience right right and i think the key phrase karen that you brought out is you're struggling against sin Yes. You're not going, well, it's okay if I sin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're actually, it's, it's when you don't fight and you, and you, um, even justify somehow right, right. or even say, well, I know people like that. yeah, like this is, this is actually normal, you know, right. living in this lifestyle of sin. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it's okay, you know, and you're not struggling against it. You're just living in sin and you're, you don't have a fight against it anymore. Um, or maybe you never did. I don't know. Or you're just trying to, um, make a point that, oh no, I'm sure this is okay with God because I don't feel anything bad about it. You know, even though his word is saying, no, it's not okay. (laughs) You know, then are you even saved? And I think the fight, the struggle against it, that's the key. Because if you're struggling against it, you're in the fight. And we're all in the fight. Right. So. Okay. I just want to say that he's faithful. I've walked on that in that other road of being so devoid of hope that I would ever be delivered that you know, somehow convincing myself for coming under deception for a time that it just was really okay. 
And um, I just want to say he comes fiercely after his own. Amen. Amen. He comes fiercely after us. He's so faithful. Yeah. It's so good, Karen. Okay. Yeah, it's good. It's good to know. Yeah. Um, thank you. Very good. So, good I question. have a question that's kind of opening a can of worms. And maybe mm-hmm. time. Maybe we'll, we don't have time for it, but it says in verse 13, from that time, in other words, having sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. So who is going to make his enemies his footstool? If Jesus is sitting there just waiting, he's not actively fighting demons. Who? Is it the angels in response to our prayers? The prayers of the saints that are filling up the bowl? 